Welcome to our new micro podcast series, where authors answer four questions provided by the Journal of Neurophysiology's Editor-in-Chief, Professor Nino Ramirez. Hi, I'm Jamie Jones, your host, and I hope you enjoy this new series. Sit back, relax, and take a listen. Hi, everybody. My name is Kelly Lee. And I'm Alex Prosserman. The paper we recently published is titled Cholinergic Depolarization Recruits a Persistent Calcium Current in Aplesia Bag Cell Neurons. As this title suggests, the paper is concerned with extended bursting activity in neurons triggered by an ionotropic acetylcholine receptor. We are interested in this because many behaviors and cognitive processes that are executed every day, such as memory formation, attention, emotion regulation, hormone release, and motor coordination, involve prolonged bursting activity of neurons. Even as I'm speaking now, and as listeners are hearing my words, there are neurons that are using these intense spiking to facilitate the organization of thought and attention to the information being presented. So this is an important and ubiquitous phenomenon, but it is also incompletely understood. And generally, uh, prolonged spiking is supported by calcium accumulation in the neuron, which is understandable since calcium is well known to be involved in controlling excitability, gene expression, and secretion. So to say that calcium is an uh, instrument of cellular change would be no overstatement. And as vital as calcium is, its concentration in the cell is tightly controlled by pumps, channels, and exchangers on the plasma membrane, uh, as well as in the ER and mitochondria. And during prolonged bursting, we see a persistent calcium current or non-selective cation current, which accumulates intracellular calcium to support ongoing spiking activity. And these persistent currents are sustained by second messenger signaling but our grasp of how the initial stimulus to a neuron from an ionotropic ionotropic receptor, uh, also known as a ligand-gated channel, causes a persistent current is less than concrete. So here we sought to explain that gap between the brief activation of an ionotropic acetylcholine receptor and a prolonged neuronal activity that is usually considered to be under the control of second messengers generated by metabotropic receptors. And we observed that upon activation of a short-lived ionotropic acetylcholine receptor, which itself is calcium impermeable, there's an opening of a voltage-gated calcium channel that produces a persistent calcium current and allows the bursting to proceed. Um, This persistent calcium current is most likely a window current, which is produced when a channel transition from open to inactivated to closed, and then open again within a certain voltage range or or so-called window. So to sum it up, when a brief cholinergic current depolarizes the neuron, voltage-gated calcium channels are open. And if the memory voltage settles to somewhere between minus 30 to minus 50 millivolts, the calcium channels begin to produce a persistent window current, sustaining the activity of the cell. This mechanism is probably more widespread than we currently recognize. After all, in addition to our own observations, uh, extended neural bursts caused by ionotropic receptors have recently been described. Uh, For example, in hippocampal interneurons involved in long-term potentiation, ventral tegmental neurons involved uh, in dopaminergic reward pathways, and hypothalamic hypocretin neurons mediating addiction. So given the ubiquitous expression of ionotropic acetylcholine receptors in brains across phyla, 
it may be worth looking into what other brain areas make use of the mechanism that we've explored and how conserved it is. So uh, we've chosen to study this phenomenon in a mollusk, Aplysia californica. Aplysia are also called sea hares because of their rhinophores, uh, these fleshy horn-like structures on their head that look like bunny ears. Uh, not to mention they're also the size of a small rabbit and are shellless. These animals engage in a reproductive behavior when a cluster of neuroendocrine cells called bag cell neurons fire synchronously for about 30 minutes and release an egg-laying hormone into the bloodstream. The synchronous bursts of action potentials, also known as the after-discharge, are initiated by an upstream input uh, to ionotropic acetylcholine receptors on the bag cell neurons. We chose aplysia because it has some experimental advantages. And namely, the aplysia nervous system contains approximately 10,000 neurons, many of which are readily accessible and easily identifiable from animal to animal. And also, there's a long history of studying the neural basis of behavior in this organism, going back all the way to the 1960s. And bag cell neurons are analogous to hypothalamic neurons that trigger ovulation or parturition, and therefore offer a foundational explanation for processes processes observed in other animals, including humans. And moreover, uh, aplysia is a hermaphrodite, so using this organism effectively eliminates sex bias, which is often unconsciously present in basic sciences. And indeed, although both biological female and male humans perform similarly on standardized intelligence tests, brains can differ at the levels of neuronal morphology, connectivity, uh, and activity in order to facilitate specific behaviors. So therefore, aplysia, which last, lacks the dimorphic differences, offers a highly generalizable model. So single bag cell neurons were dissected out of these animals for electrophysiological recordings. Um, patch clamp and sharp electro recordings allow the electrode to sample electrical activity across the cell membrane. And so we've used these techniques to measure changes in acetylcholine-induced current and neuronal membrane potential in the presence of various voltage-gated calcium channel block blockers. Um, the most difficult part of this project was finding a selective calcium channel blocker that antagonizes calcium channels without having a residual effect on cholinergic receptors. And upon finding one, which turned out to be the metal cobalt, we were able to demonstrate attenuated cholinergic depolarization in the presence of that calcium blocker, and therefore calcium channel recruitment during cholinergic depolarization. We've also showed uh, calcium influx during cholinergic depolarization using the calcium-sensitive dye Fura, adding to the list of evidence. And now that the question of how ionotropic acetylcholine receptors initiate long-term bursting is answered, we are investigating how these receptors are regulated to prevent aberrant signaling. So once the after-discharge has run its course, bag cell neurons enter an approximately 18-hour refractory period. And during this time, only single action potentials can be evoked um, in response to a cholinergic input. The inability to induce after-discharges during this refractory period can be attributed to insufficient acetylcholine-induced um, current at consecutive inputs, although the underlying mechanism is unknown. 
However, we predict that the long time scale to um, long time scale to recovery suggests that the receptors may be endocytosed. Since acetylcholine receptor desensitization is a well recognized phenomenon, but is not completely understood, this would be another project that'd be appropriate for models like aplesia to add to the literature. And another avenue we could examine is how the handling of calcium entering the neuron through the persistent current influences bursting. Our prior work found that plasma membrane pumps and the mitochondria clear voltage-gated calcium influx. So the question is, does this clearance influence the persistent calcium current itself through another ubiquitous mechanism known as the calcium-dependent inactivation? Yeah, so there's a lot of areas that we could still study. Um, and there are some experiments that are being done to answer these questions. So please stay tuned and thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This podcast was brought to you by the Journal of Neurophysiology and produced by me, Jamie Jones. If you would like to hear our latest episodes, please visit the Journal of Neurophysiology's homepage.